Mortal Kombat series. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar. I started playing that a little bit when I was in college in the mid-90s. Uh, once it was released for PS1, Sub-Zero, pretty sure I picked him all the time because he was blue. Just to be honest, I'm not positive if that's why I actually loved him as a character. But characters are so central to the Mortal Kombat series. And Wilbert, the composer, wanted to give special attention to all those characters. So he composed 30 themes for the game, whether they're full-fledged themes or uh, maybe a signature sound or something along those lines. He wove those themes together in great ways. And so the soundtrack is a lot like an onion. You can peel back these layers on each listen and kind of uncover themes. It's uh, really quite fun to listen to. And Wilbert has played Mortal Kombat since he was young. my first video game like period <laughs> I mean yeah I, I remember it very surprisingly well it was um, sixth or seventh grade and it was my friend's uh, birthday party and he just you know invited the whole class out to the arcades and his dad just you know as soon as we got in just handed me a bunch of quarters and I wasn't really familiar with uh, video games at the time um, uh, this is this must have been 1990, you know, whatever. And uh, <laughs> here I saw this machine, you know, Mortal Kombat, and I'd never heard of it, but it had realistic characters. And I guess I've always kind of been into the cinematic aspects of uh, of gaming and, and storytelling. And this was a mm -hmm. game that, you know, in its attract mode, it was telling you about these characters, which were played by real people, and that was unheard of back at the at the time. Uh, and that just enticed me so much. So I just pretty much sat in front of that machine for hours, um, <laughs> just trying to play the game. And then the, you know, the the home versions came out. I played uh, Mortal Kombat three on PC, and the movie came out. And I absolutely adored that movie. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it just it just kind of snowballed from there. Uh, and yeah. it's been you know I, I've I kind of moved on to other fighting games like Virtua Fighter and and Tekken especially. But uh, mm. Mortal Kombat still has such a strong place in my heart. Talk to me a little bit about like what it was like for you to, to find out that you were going to get to score it. Yeah, it was, you know, it's, it's funny. I actually met Ed Boon for the first time months before I had even thought about reaching out to NetherRealm uh, to, to score the game. Uh, we were both at the Dice Awards um, in Las Vegas. And he was up for Injustice 2 for Fighting Game of the Year, and uh, we were up for Call of Duty World War II, um, best online action game and, and uh, best original score. And uh, yeah, he won for Injustice 2, and uh, the after party happened, and I had all the, it took all the bravery in the world, but uh, eventually <laughs> I went up and said, hey, uh, congratulations, I'm a huge fan. And he was the nicest person. You would not believe how cool he is in person. Here's a person who has worked on every single Mortal Kombat game since the very beginning, and he still is very active in its development, extremely mm. active in every aspect of the development. But 
he was still incredibly nice and and cheery and uh, no no sign of like the game industry jadedness that you always hear about but instead he was just genuinely <laughs> excited to be there and it was it was <laughs> awesome amazing um as far as how i got the the project um it turned out that there's actually a surprising amount of turnover between um, WB and Activision and NetherRealm and Sledgehammer games. Uh, weirdly enough, what do you, what do you mean turnover? Well, uh, it turned out that one of the sound designers from Call of Duty World War II had worked on Mortal Kombat 10, <laughs> okay. and then another sound designer from Call of Duty went back to NetherRealm to work on MK11. It was just weird <laughs> coincidence. <laughs> And so um, I asked the the sound designer, "Hey, would you mind introducing me to the audio director of uh, Netherrealm?" And yeah, I got the email address and I reached out to Rich Carl, uh, the audio director, who also, by the way, is a, is a great composer. He wrote the scores to the PlayStation Two like 3D era Mortal Kombat games, and he's been contributing ever since. And um, yeah, he he responded back, and apparently, it turns out he was familiar with my work from Lara Croft and the Temple of Osiris. Uh, yep. And I, I guess he had also gone to the Game Developers Conference lecture I gave on that, um, like 2016 or something like that. Yeah, 2015. Some, oh, way nice. Back when. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he said, you know, here's a demo pitch package. He gave me a PDF of the story and some of the art. And some guidelines on how to write a main theme for a modern Mortal Kombat game. Um, just some general thoughts on on the form and uh, the harmonic language that works really well, uh, and some ideas on instrumentation. And I kind of went with that. And uh, mm-hmm. that demo uh, is now the main theme of the game. Uh, I pretty <laughs> much didn't uh, didn't even edit it. Once, the, wow. once I got the gig, it's pretty much exactly as I wrote it in the demo. I wanted to have two conflicting themes. One for um, uh, Raiden, who's sort of the main... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's weird to call him the protagonist, but like he's on <laughs> one side, let's say. And then Kronika, mm-hmm. who's uh, the antagonist, the main antagonist, who's been running the show forever. Yeah. Um, and my Kronika theme, uh, more or less, uh, I came up with that pretty quickly. Um, and I'm not exactly sure what my inspiration was, but I did know that... She's dealing a lot with time and time manipulation, time travel. And so I, I thought, well, okay, she also has this hourglass motif. Maybe I can do something with the idea of the sands of time. Whenever she shows up in the story, she's always teleporting in in a, a pillar of sand. And so I thought, okay, sand of time, sand of time. Maybe I can do a sort of Middle Eastern, North African thing uh, with her instrumentation. Uh, and so that's why the theme is played on the Kemenche, which is uh, a Middle Eastern fiddle.
music is usually accompanied by lots of North African percussion, uh, played beautifully by Doug Perry, who I've worked with on a, a number of games. And um, for Raiden, uh, I didn't really have a solid sense of what I was doing while I was writing the main theme. His actual theme that I used in the game came much later. Um, but hmm. the other theme that I used, um, the bum 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 ba da dum, that one mm -hmm. uh, was more of a theme for Mortal Kombat as a concept. Um, it's the I jokingly I refer to it as the theme of solving all your problems with violence. Like you may notice, like in the story, <laughs> they could easily have talked this out ninety percent of the time, <laughs> but it's just the talking stops and things just kick off, and you know, bum bum bum. It just sounded right for that. And nice. uh, I knew I wanted to have East Asian instrumentation, uh, particularly for Raiden, and uh, just kind of throughout the score. Uh, so that's where that mm -hmm. comes from. The um, Gujang is the main uh, East Asian instrument that we used, mm -hmm. uh, played by Chan uh, uh, Chan Jin. Basically, uh, I, I just had these two themes play off of each other, uh, each kind of having their moment and then sort of coming into conflict. There's a moment in the middle of the main theme where every two measures, uh, it's like a drum battle between the two, <laughs> the two sides. So every two measures, it goes between East Asian percussion and North African percussion with more like electronics. And then we get nice. some layered in... Um, uh, solos, like improvised solos with the Gujang and with the Kemenche, uh, which, by the way, was played by Stelios Varveris in uh, Athens, Greece. He's a Greek um, multi-instrumentalist that I've worked with ever since uh, Lara Croft. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, you know, so they kind of pile up. And then finally, I have another theme uh, at the very end, which uh, at first that was going to be the main theme, but I just couldn't find a place for it. So I just used it as like a vamp. Um, okay. That sort of da 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 da, ba, da 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 that thing, and it just kind of repeats over and over, and it just gets bigger and bigger and and all mm -hmm. that, and uh, that's pretty much uh, how I compose the main thing. I'd never done a, a drum battle in the middle of a piece before. I'm not really sure where that idea yeah. came from. But, uh, you know, before every score, I like to do a, as much pre-compositional research as I can. Sure. And for this one, I went to a bunch of um, Taiko Ensemble uh, videos, and I transcribed the rhythms um, just oh, onto wow. paper. Uh, mm -hmm. Just because I wanted to make sure that if I was going to use... Um, East Asian percussion, I wanted to make sure that it was authentic and it sounded, you know, it sounded inspired yeah. and it didn't sound like yeah. I was just kind of doing a fake, you know, Hollywood approximation, but I wanted to be as close to the real thing as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, so that might be why uh, I decided, hey, you know, let's, let's put in a little more of this. Plus I have, uh, I had Doug and he's, he's a, a fantastic player and I wanted to feature him a little bit more as well. Mm -hmm. 
I wrote the the story mode score. Uh, mm-hmm, it's about mm-hmm. two and a half hours. Uh, yeah, the story mode is, is like three hours or so of of cinematics alone. Uh, oh, that's right. I did see that. I, yeah, it's. I, I saw this vi- the video. You know how they'll put them all together. That's that's remarkable. Yeah, man, that's a lot of music. They were very serious about extremely high Hollywood level production quality on this. Uh, I mean, it felt like scoring two movies back to back. It was it was that elaborate. But yeah, I, I did that score and the main theme, and. Uh, Elements from my score were used as the uh, menu music throughout the game. So there's like oh, a cool. big playlist of music that, you know, whenever you're navigating menus or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, it, it plays through that. And that's just uh, cues from my story score. But for oh, nice. the actual uh, in-round music, uh, there was a team of uh, five composers uh, that worked on that, uh, which included, by the way, uh, Dan Forden, who's the original composer of Mortal Kombat. Uh, ever since MK1, 2, and 3. And uh, uh, Rich Carl, the audio director, who, uh, like I mentioned, was the composer on a bunch of the 3D-era PlayStation 2 games. Um, and, and, and in addition to them, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow their names, so I won't even try, but uh, two composers from Dynamedian uh, who absolutely killed it. They were amazing. And uh, Nathan Grigg, who is actually an employee at Monolith Productions. Um, but he contributed some unbelievably cool tracks uh, to this game as well. The five of them uh, collaborated uh, on the interactive uh, in-game music. Uh, you mentioned the the Chinese fiddle, right? It's a Middle Eastern fiddle called the Middle Kemenche. Eastern Yes. The Kemenche. Okay, okay. Um, is that what I hear in uh, a cue like Sins of the Father? There's this lovely fiddle, you know, there's just some solo, beautiful solo work throughout the score. Oh, so in that track, that's actually... Okay, so here, here's how it, it all played out. Um, okay. I figured, okay, I have this Middle Eastern fiddle in the, in the main theme, and it's kind of become the, the sound for Kronika. Uh, but... The thing about Kronika is that she has her true nature, but her real power is just in how she's able to manipulate people. She manipulates time, but she also manipulates people. And you'll notice that in the first half of the game, all she's really doing is going from one person to another and, te- and convincing them that her idea for rebooting the timeline, re- restarting time, uh, is the way for them to overcome loss or... Um, to reunite with their families, uh, you know, to, to have a better future than what's possible now. Mm-hmm. And the way I saw it was, it's almost like she, she's very two-faced. She, she's just putting on whatever appearance that she needs to in order to convince whoever, whomever she's talking to that this is the way to go, to join her side. So in the case of Jax, um, she's trying to explain to him that, oh, you won't. You don't have to ha- have gone through all of this horrible, these horrible events that happened in in MK10 with him turning into a revenant, and with um, his daughter being uh, put in danger as a military officer. You don't have to do that. You can. Uh, she can. She can give you grandchildren, and you can be a, a general, and you can all be safe and happy and whatever. And so, for that moment, uh, when she's first appearing uh, to Jax. I have uh, Matthias Souza, who's my violin soloist, just classical violin soloist. 
Uh, I played. I had him play uh, that sort of very fancy arpeggiated sort of uh, sound. And the reason that I used a classical violin as opposed to the comanche is that I didn't want it to have the kind of grit that the comanche does. But instead, you know, she's putting on an air. She's 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 trying to manipulate him. So I used classical orchestral instrumentation for it. You know, every every single character in the game has a theme, or maybe they belong to a faction that has a theme. It's very leitmotivic score. And with Jax, um, he kind of shares what I call the family theme with Jackie and and Sonia and Cassie and Johnny Cage. They all kind of have, they kind of share a melodic theme, uh, but each one of them has different instrumentation. And in Jax's case, because of his military background. I tried to steer towards uh, classical orchestral instruments that you might find in a very heroic, um, you know, like a war score. So there's lots of like uh, trumpet and horn solos. And mm. in this case, it made sense for Kronika to sort of adopt that with a classical solo violin. I'd love to hear about other musicians that you worked with because clearly there's so many live elements in here and and I'd love to hear about more of the folks that, that played for you or anything that you played too, of course. Sure, yeah. I mean, um, boy, just getting it out of the way, I, I played a lot of <laughs> instruments on this score in addition bet to, you did. <laughs> to, to singing quite a bit too. Oh, did you? Yeah, I mean, it's not... Obvious, but a lot of times um, when I have choral elements, I just kind of layer in my own uh, voice in the background uh, okay. just to have it sound a little more realistic. We didn't have the opportunity to record a, a live choir for this score. Okay, okay. But there are some moments singing either just oohs and ahs or in Latin. And then I play the shao and the shakuhachi. Lots of other uh, other things, all the guitars and bass, uh, with the exception of, towards the end, um, Kitana kind of rising to power. And I, I had uh, Brian Effinger, who's a good friend of mine. Uh, he played guitar on, on those pieces. Oh, One cool. of the interesting things I ended up doing was uh, playing my mandolin and my electric bass with uh, string bows. So the mandolin I play with the violin bow and the bass I play with the double bass bow. Um, mm -hmm. Just to get kind of just a real weird and wrong <laughs> kind of sound, uh, <laughs> sort of sort of like the dirt, even dirtier Comanche uh, was sort of the intention. Just even nastier and gnarly, and the tuning is kind of messed up because it's never meant to be played that way. Um, but right. that made quite a few appearances. Um, Interesting. But well, yeah. let me ask you if I can. Sure. I'm, I'm sorry if I can ask you about bowing the mandolin because that, isn't that a fairly flat? surface the strings I mean, it they is are... you can only great great question yeah you can only play the g string and the e string so the top or the bottom right the very, yeah the very top yeah. or very bottom strings and uh so you just kind of have to deal with that in whatever way <laughs> lots of right because of course of, i mean yeah. just to describe to people like if a violin or you know a string instrument that actually uses a bow has usually some kind of bridge that the strings 
fit over so that they're, cur- you know, it's a curved surface. It's not, yeah. you know, but a mandolin is just flat like a guitar. Or, exactly, you know, yeah. Yeah, so, It's also okay. quite heavy <laughs> right. and uh, unwieldy. Again, never meant yeah. to be played this way, but that's sort of the appeal. <laughs> uh, but, you know, in addition to that, I had a ton of amazing performers. Um, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't even really know where to begin, but some, <laughs> some of the instrumentation is, is kind of interesting in terms of where the idea came from. I mean... Uh, Cetrion was one of my favorite characters because it's something I don't think we've ever seen in a Mortal Kombat game where we have an Elder God as part of the story and also playable. And Mm. the idea behind her character is that, you know, she's the paragon of virtue. She's Mm -hmm. uh, basically everything good. So Raiden looks looks up to her and she's supposed to be um, just the model for goodness, let's say. And... What I decided was I saw her uh, visual appearance and she kind of has this, um, like all of the four elements are represented in her. Like she's very kind of like Gaia or something like that. And she has this ice motif. And I just thought, you know what? That kind of, she has this sort of Scandinavian uh, Norse goddess vibe to her. What if I had some authentic Scandinavian music to go along with this? And so... um, I found a Kulning singer. Kulning is kind of like a type of uh, Scandinavian yodeling uh, that's not meant as a concert. You know, it's not it's not meant as something to perform necessarily, but it's actually right. uh, used by farmers to call out to cattle from long distances uh, mm-hmm. in the forests. And mm-hmm. I just thought, like, you know, number one, it sounds amazing. It's such an over like otherworldly timbre. Uh, and number two, what a be- what a great way to describe an elder goddess who's trying to shepherd humans and mortals into doing the right thing. Uh, so mm-hmm. I uh, I hired Emma Sundbring, and she uh, she was the soloist in a game called Brothers: A Tale of Two Brothers. Sons. Brothers, yeah, yeah. That's the first time I ever heard Kulning. Yep, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and uh, she she was fantastic. She recorded yeah. um, all of those uh, solo vocals. I also had Laura and Travia record some solo vocals, part, part of them improvised, part of them like layered on top of more uh, choral elements. Um, once again, uh, Chan Chan Jin did not only the written uh, Gujang parts, but also had her do some improvisations over the main theme. And Fine, I, yeah. I used some of those improvisations in other parts of the score, kind of like a phrase library of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, same with Stelios, actually, his Comanche recordings. Uh, he also improvised for that middle section, and I used some of those improvisations uh, in other parts. Oh, cool. And, uh, yeah, I mean, lots, lots of other performers. You know, I, I mentioned uh, Doug and Mateus, and uh, Sam Babinski did some double bass effects for us, uh, which were really useful for the Outworld segments, where I really okay. wanted a just nasty, gnarly sound for the Tarkatans. Uh, Tarkatans being the Baraka enemies with the crazy teeth and all that. And um, uh, John Stacy was my uh, horn and trumpet soloist.
Sebastian Frey was my cello and electric cello soloist, and I've worked with him on just about every game I can think of. He was on Destiny, he was on Lara Croft, uh, Star mm. Wars First Assault. Um, it's a phenomenal nice. player, and I, I really love his, his emotion and, and attention to detail that he brings to it. And I think lastly, um, Herman Whitcomb was my duduk performer. Oh, nice. I never thought that I would have to write a love theme for a Mortal Kombat game. <laughs> but uh, Kotal Kahn uh, and Jade are a couple in this game. And they'd been separated for a long time. Uh, in fact, I don't think that they've ever been known to be in a relationship until this game hmm. uh, revealed that. And they have some moments together where um, they're revealing kind of their, their love for each other and whatnot. And they're having a you know, little lover's small talk, if you will. And <laughs> I wanted to give Kotal Kahn a sort of Mediterranean vibe. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have a lot of percussion and whatnot. And uh, Doug Perry played on that as well. But Herman did the melody on the Armenian duduk, um, nice. which is a lot of fun to to be able to write for that instrument. He's a fantastic player, and he's also a, a great composer himself. So he understood um, kind of my needs for having it sound authentic, but also it has to fit within Western scales. So he was able to perform in such a way that it, it worked uh, for both. What was it like to score two different, or however many different endings there are? But you know, what what's that experience like when you know the story and you just know you need to kind of go in different directions for wrapping things up at the end of the game? Uh, that's a that's an interesting question. Um, I would say it didn't really change things that much. The the two endings are actually not. The, well, first off, there's actually three endings. One is you okay. just straight up lose, and and Krona gets you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, the others are you either reboot the timeline and your companion is Raiden or you reboot the timeline and your companion is Katana. Um, okay. And so from a mechanical perspective, uh, I just did the Katana ending first because that's considered the good ending and it's a little bit longer. And then mm -hmm. once that was approved, um, uh, we just I just kind of edit it a little bit to get the Raiden ending and then you know, that was really all there was to it. More so, I, I basically took the entire game and thought of it as like a three-act structure. So in the first act, it's a lot more about the special forces. They have a lot more of their moments, and it's got some of the outworld stuff happening there. So that kind of has its sound. And then things sort of heat up for the second act, and that's when I bring in a lot more electronics and um, just get a little dirtier with the outworldy world music type stuff. <laughs> And then finally for the third act, that's when 
it's just um, you know balls to the wall super epic crazy fights happening with millions of characters on screen and that's when i bring in more you know the big epic choir stuff that had only mm-hmm. been hinted at in the previous uh, parts of the game but here it's just everything just go Did you play the game? You know, you'd be surprised. Like, I, I didn't actually beat the game until very recently. <laughs> I just have had no time at all yeah, to, yeah. To, yeah. to play, unfortunately. But um, it was nice, you know, seeing, you know, the how the story mode came through. I'm so impressed by, um, by NetherRealm's art team in, in particular. Their art and animation teams did an incredible job on this game. You know, it's, it's, it's an Unreal 3 game, which blows everyone's mind. This is an engine made for the last generation of consoles. But somehow, they've made it look just unbelievable. I mean, NetherRealm clearly stripped out so much of Unreal 3's code and wrote in their others. And Unreal 3 is just sort of the, the base for, um, for all of their uh, technical advancements. Um, but they did so much great work on the, on the visual components of, uh, of the... Uh, of the game uh, and it lit it it's one of the honestly it's one of the best looking games out there uh, i'm so proud that i got to work on on a project with these people I always like to give a shout out to a couple people. One, uh, we have really, really great album art uh, done by Javier Burgos. I've been wanting to work with him for a long time. And finally, with this game, we had an opportunity. Uh, So, you know, again, huge props to uh, not only NetherRealm, but also WB and uh, WB Water Tower Records for for making this happen. Um, And also... One of the most uh, fun parts of doing this score was uh, the ending credits theme. Uh, it's called Rise, and it was co-produced by a good friend of mine, um, Luke Esquivel, uh, who goes by uh, Super Square, is his uh, EDM uh, group. He's a huge name in the, the fighting game community. He used to play Street Fighter competitively, but he's also a brilliant EDM producer. When it came time to, you know, we were wrapping up the score, and I asked uh, Rich, the audio director, like, hey, are we doing something for end credits? And he said, oh, we'll probably just, you know, have the playlist of the in-game music. And I was like, ah. I swear, it took, like, no thought whatsoever. I, was, I basically said, obviously, we should get uh, Luke to work on this because uh, it, just, it, it just made so much sense. And he's also a huge Mortal Kombat fan. Um, so, yeah, I called him up. We got him an NDA. And uh, he came over. I showed him some of the themes from the game. And uh, mm-hmm. what we ended up doing was we sketched out a form where the verse uses um, Liu Kang's theme uh, because Liu Kang is really the main protagonist of the game. And then the chorus uses Kitana's theme uh, because, like I mentioned, in the, in the good ending, you and, uh, or Liu Kang and Kitana uh, work together to restart time. And what was great about that was that both of them have this uh, dramatic arc where they... Uh, come into uh, 
you know, they rise, they rise to power. So Kitana at first is, okay, well, she's, she's assisting uh, Kotal Khan and she's not really fully self-actualized. But as time goes on, she ends up being the person who unites Outworld and becomes the new Khan, Kitana Khan. Um, and so I have her theme starting off as just a little hint. But then as time goes on in this story, it gets more grandiose and builds into that epic uh, guitar uh, melody. And that's what we have in its final iteration at the uh, chorus of Rise. And uh, uh, same with Liu Kang, um, he undergoes a metamorphosis at the very end of the game. And uh, I have a new theme for that that's a combination of Raiden's theme and uh, this new uh, element. And uh, so all three of those themes put together uh, made up the background music for the, the instrumental sounds for, the, uh, for Rise, the ending credits theme. And then for the album version, um, we brought in Mega Ram who's a, a yeah. very, very well-known um, uh, nerdcore, you can call it, rapper. Uh, yeah. Fantastic musician. We're actually both from Philadelphia, and so he's, you know, I'd like to rap Philadelphia <laughs> a little bit. But, uh, yeah, he, he did a great job. He wrote and performed um, the, uh, the ending credits theme for the album version. And, yeah, I think it came together really, really well. Yeah, make it grand. Ready for combat. Uh, at the helm, never break, and I never bend. Never realm, give and take, never let them win. Never ran, never will. This is in my skin, in my blood for the love. This will never end. It's so crazy. There are like 30 themes in this score, leitmotifs and whatnot. It's incredible. And, and, That's and incredible. signature sounds and, and all that. Uh, it's, it's out of control. <laughs> it's so mad. <laughs> you know, I had to actually create a Excel document, a spreadsheet, just to keep track of all these themes and where they're used. And I mean, it, it was crazy. I never thought it would be that way. But you know, it was, it was great because it, it, it taught me a very valuable lesson about this game and kind of fighting games in general. People are fans of the game, sure. But more mm-hmm. so, I think they're fans of the characters. The characters are really what makes the game. And I think that when uh, Dominic and Sean wrote this story, they kept that in mind and they said, you know what, everyone has their favorite character. Why don't we make sure that every character has a moment where they can shine so that fans of Kitana, fans of Kotal Kahn, fans of whoever, um, they can really just kind of just be proud that they have you know, stuck to it and been Sonya fans, yeah. been, been Sub-Zero fans, been whatever, uh, since yeah. literally the 1990s. Um, mm-hmm. And so the, the, it, it honestly kind of became obvious that I needed to pay respect to each one of these characters with signature sounds and, and leitmotivic themes for uh, each one of them. 
Um, and, and it worked out, you know, one of the, it's sort of side story, but uh, one of the big prominent names in the competitive Mortal Kombat community, uh, he's this commentator and, and player uh, who goes by the name Kitana Prime. Uh, so, I mean, three guesses as to who his favorite character is, right? He, he's been incredibly supportive of, of me and my work on Twitter. And it was so funny because, you know, we, we sort of slowly doled out information on this game, revealing one character at a time uh, with these trailers. And the whole time I'm thinking, man, I can't wait to see <laughs> what he thinks once we finally reveal that Katana is in the game. And not only is she in the game, but she actually has the, the biggest role... I think she's ever had in any Mortal Kombat game. You know, we made her Katana Khan, and, and we've never had a moment like that. And that was one of my favorite moments to score in the game, was when she finally rises to power. best way possible. She's clearly the most qualified for this position. She's united outworld. She's been diplomatic, but also fierce. And, you know, she's like the, the Khaleesi of Mortal Kombat, I guess. But <laughs> Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's been so great seeing the fandom and, uh, and watching all of these characters take a life of their own. And I, I can't even describe how, how crazy it is that having known some of these characters for literally over 20 years, that now I get to put a unique voice to each and every one of them. Um, that, that was an incredible honor. It was really great talking with you. Absolutely. It's great as always. And thank you so much for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to episode 112 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Wilbert Roger at rogermusic.com. That's R-O-G-E-T. And see a playlist at patreon.com slash level. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hi. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily. And learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Gentle. Level with Emily is a production of June Media.